Good morning. It's so good to see you all. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church at the Bridge. And we've been on a series of the last couple of weeks entitled, This is What We Do. How many of you know that there are things that you just naturally do? I can guarantee you, some of you look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Do any of you wake up in the morning and remind yourself, okay, breathe? No, right? Just doesn't, they're things that we know just naturally to do. If you're like me, you get in the car and you drive and you forget that you're driving and you're like in the Bahamas or something. And all of a sudden you kind of jolt yourself and you wake up. It just becomes second nature. Well, how many of you know that according to scripture, there are things that we as believers should know to do? As a matter of fact, they should be second nature to us. So we've covered a lot of ground these last couple of weeks. And today, before I give you our big idea, I want to kind of just start off with a, a little story that I heard. You guys ready for this? Yes. Promise me one thing. You will at least fake it that you're laughing. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, so it goes, well, there, there were once two identical twins. They were alike in every way but one. One was, hope, one was a hope-filled optimist who only ever saw the bright side of life. The other was a dark pessimist who only ever saw the downside in every situation. The parents were so worried about the extremes of optimism and pessimism in their two boys that they finally decided to take them to the doctor. The doctor examined them, ran them through all these tests, did all these uh, 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 reviews and all this other stuff, and then finally he comes up with a diagnosis and he brings a suggestion. He says to them, on their next birthday, give the pessimist a shiny new bike, but give the optimist only a pile of manure. It seemed a fairly extreme thing to do. After all, the parents had always treated their boys equally, but in this instance, they decided to follow the doctor's orders. Something had to give. And so when the twins' birthday came around, they gave the pessimist the most expensive, top-of-the-range, shiny racing bike a child ever owned. When he saw the bike, his first words were, I'll probably crash and break my leg. To the optimist, they gave a carefully wrapped, beautiful box of manure. He opened it, looked puzzled for a moment, then ran outside screaming, you can't fool me. Where there's this much manure, there's just got to be a pony around here somewhere. <laughs> you know, there's something so incredibly powerful about optimism that's born out of a hope in greater things that go beyond what we see. You know, hope really is about seeing something more than the tangible things before us in life. And you know, in, in, I'm sure that we all have some sort of hope. Holler at me if you got a hope, right? Right, you got a hope, good. But most people when they hope, and hey, if the shoe fits today, change it. But most people, when they hope, here's what it's not. It's not really hope. It's kind of wishing and a praying that something happens, that something works out, that something comes together. And there's no concrete basis to that. I'm going to show you that from God's word today. And it's important that we all understand that, that today what I'm offering you is not my opinion. It's not my perspective. We're going to look to God's word. If there's anyone that we should look to, in regards to anything in life, if there's an expert that we should be looking to, it's not Dr. Phil, it's not Dr. Oz, it's God. 
And so today we're going to look at God's word. And so here's today's big idea. We hope in greater things because our hope is in a greater one. I'm going to say that again. We hope in greater things. How many of you want, uh, want to hope for greater things in life? You want to hope for more in your relationships. You want to hope for more in the trajectory where your life is taking you, where your career is at, in, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with others, in your purpose, in the meaning to your life. We all want to hope for more. We're built for more than what we see, ladies and gentlemen. And so if you think about it, everybody sees the same thing. We all hear the same news. We're all aware of the same stuff going on around us. We've all had our own challenges, and maybe you've got some similar challenges amongst all of us here. But the, there's a difference when it comes to hope, because while one person can, two people can go through the same challenge, the same experience, be in the same community, one will see the complete negative aspect of it, and another one will see it through a set of eyes full of hope. And hope makes the difference. Let's turn our Bibles to Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. I just want to illustrate this for you. I want to talk to you a little bit about our hope in God. And remember, we hope in greater things. Maybe you haven't been hoping lately. Maybe you've just kind of been meandering through life. Maybe, I know Jesus, I love the Lord and praise God, but it's kind of, you're just kind of just coasting. Life is just kind of just taking you somewhere. That's not the way we're supposed to live, ladies and gentlemen. Hope gives us a key to actually step into the unknown, into what God has. The Bible says that uh, faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. Think about what the Word of God is saying there. That faith is the meat and potatoes. It's the skin. It's the meat on the bone to the hopes that we have in God. And so... Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5 says this. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. So let's just pause right there for a moment. What we see up to this point with the psalmist is this, that he's lamenting. He's remembering something afar off. He's thinking about times past and he's saying, man, if I could just get to that place, those pilgrim feasts where people would come from all over, all regions, and we would just gather together in the house of God and we would worship God and we would, we would commune together and we would get to know each other. So he's lamenting these days. Think about what he's saying. He's saying, I'm thirsty. I'm longing I'm, I'm, I'm panting for water as a deer pants for water as he longs for water. So my soul thirsts after thee, O God. Here's what he's saying. God, I miss you. I miss those days. I miss what you've opened my eyes to. I miss the hopes, the dreams. I miss what faith was revealing to me. I can't see it anymore. But then in verse 5, he has this awakening moment. Let's look at verse 5. He says, why are you cast down, 
O my soul. That word soul there is simply speaking about the faculty with which we think, our mind. It's talking about our mind, our will, our emotions. And so here's literally what he's doing. He's talking to himself. Kind of like one of those pep talks. When you're about to get in the game, you go, all right, Jose, I got this, man. You got this. And you, you know you don't got it, but you're kind of just envisioning the game. Kind of doing what Vince Lombardi said. Game day isn't the day of the game. It's the day before the game. See, one of those. And so he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. See, he has this awakening moment where he recalls his hope. And notice that his hope isn't in a person. It isn't in a paycheck. It isn't in the esteem of other people. It isn't in the accolades of society. It isn't in, in, in the, 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 uh, the uh, good uh, feelings that he gets from, from the things that he does. No, he says, my hope is in God. He recalls his hope in, in God, and he recalls God's faithfulness to him. And so despite what things look like in the world today, hey, as a matter of fact, Despite what things look like in your world today, we have a hope. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, well, let me just back up and just say this, that hope is not a thing. Hope is a person. And I want to show you something from Scripture here, that while this psalmist that we read in Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5, while this psalmist recounts a hope in God, we have to understand that today, if you're a child of God, your hope is better than theirs. Let me prove that to you. Colossians chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 says this. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. You should be asking this question right now. What mystery? Glad you asked that. We'll get there. So this mystery that has been hidden from ages and from generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his majesty, of this majesty among the Gentiles. Here's the mystery, which is Christ in you. Listen closely, the hope of glory. You know what the good news is in this scripture? What it reveals about hope? That hope isn't something that we're wanting. Hope isn't something that we're aspiring to become. Hope is something that lives inside you, believer. Hope is found in Christ. Now, you could hope, we could all hope in that paycheck. Let me give you an example of that. Let me show you how this works for some of us. We know that paycheck is coming in two weeks, right? And so here's how, how the world hopes. Get paid in two weeks, all right, man, I could take my kids out to eat. Um, I'm going to put a little aside for this. Oh, I got to get those new sneakers that I've been looking at because some of you are sneakerheads. You start making plans for this, this, and that. What do you do when that check ceases? What do you do when your hope is in a person and that person leaves? What do you do when your hope is in your career or your job or the esteem that you get of others and all of a sudden they're gone? Then what? See, the hope of the world, the hope that functions according to a mentality independent of God and a confidence in God is empty. Where we might think it's hopeful, really what it leads us 
what it leaves us feeling is hopeless. There's less hope in our lives. And so what we see is that hope is not found in these things. It's not found in the right circumstances. It's found in the person and in the name of Jesus Christ himself. That's the message that people need to know. The message is not you're going to hell. The message is not God does it, God is mad at you. That's not the message that God gave his son for. Here's the message of the gospel. We find it in the book of Matthew. You'll see when the, when the, when the angels uh, came out in the heavens and they spoke to, to the wise men. Here's the message they brought. God with us and peace with all men. And so here's the gospel in, this, in what we look at in terms of the hope that's ours that God came near to all mankind. God came near not just to the person whose life looks like a mess. God came near to us all, every last one of us. Sin isn't the issue anymore, ladies and gentlemen. God's not holding the trespasses of men against them. There's only one thing that will lead mankind to hell, and that's the rejection of God's gift, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. And so we have a hope. But there's a difference between the hope that we have in God and hope in this world. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 22. And we're going to remain there for the rest of the couple of minutes that we have left together. In Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 22, it tells us something about hope through the life of a man named Abraham. Now, before we read this, I'm going to give you some, some quick context so you kind of understand what the scripture is talking about. Abraham, well, before that, he was called Abram. God eventually changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. But Abram, Abraham, when he first met God, he wanted nothing to do with God. He was serving pagan gods. He had pagan ways. The, the, the Chaldeans, the people that he came from, were a very... Uh, uh, rich people. They were very much prosperous, uh, but they had all these weird practices, and, and they, they were godless, really. Uh, they would cut themselves, all kinds of weird stuff. And so God shows up, and God speaks to this guy, Abram, and he says to him, Abram, leave your father's house, leave the country that you're from, and go to a land that I'm taking you to. Go to the place that I desire to show you what you're meant for, what this is all about. So Abraham packs up, he leaves, he follows after God, he ends up in this place, and wherever he goes, we see that the Bible reveals that Abram prospers. While his nephew at the time is going one way, he's going another, and he's going up, and his nephew's going down, and no matter where Abram went, whatever he touched, it was like the Midas touch, it turned to gold. And so one day, God calls Abram out, and he says to Abram, Abram, come on out here. And he shows Abram all the stars in the sky. And he says to Abram, Abram, as, as many stars as you see and as far as you can see the sand of the seashore, so shall the descendants that come from you be. And then he says to him, I will bless you and I will bless all the nations through you. What is he saying to Abram? Abram. You're going to have a child, and through your seed, 
I am going to reveal myself to this entire world. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless these nations through you. You got to think about Abram's reaction. Whoa, that's pretty heavy. That gives, mind, uh, that gives life a whole new context, a whole new meaning. And so Abram believes. And so what happens, though, is that, that he's in his 70s at the time. Some of you are going, man, the tools worked at 70 plus, right? <laughs> Obviously it did because, you know. But here's the problem with this story, as we'll see. 25 years go by and no kid. No kid from, from between Abram and his wife, Sarah. Now, along the way, and I'm just giving you some context. You can check out the story for yourself. It starts in Genesis chapter 12 on forward. Uh, but along the way, Abram, uh, Abram's wife concocts this grand scheme to have a child through her servant. So they go through that, and it blows up in their face. So fast forward. A hundred years old and still no child. And here's what ends up happening. And Sarah's in her 90s, so the factory's closed. Tools don't work, and the factory's closed, right? And so here's what ends up happening. God shows up, and he says to Abram, to Abraham, he says, Abraham, this time next year, you're going to have a son. The Bible says that Sarah hears what the Lord says to Abraham, and she laughs. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know how that's going to happen, brother. And Abram, but the Bible says that Abram, Abraham believed. And so let's turn to Romans chapter 4, verses 16 to, through 22. And we learn something about hope through the life of Abraham. It says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. So what is it talking about there? It's talking about that God, through his grace, his favor, his love towards all mankind, he would approach men. He approached mankind through Jesus Christ. And that that promise is sure to all the seed that would believe just like Abraham. So let's read that again. Therefore it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. That's talking about people that believe just like him. In other words, they're not putting their hope in things. They're not putting their hope in what they do for God. They're not putting their trust in what they bring to the table or what religion says. They simply trust and believe and hope in God. That's the, that's the seed that has faith, uh, the faith of Abraham. And so he's the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the, present, in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Listen, 
Abraham put his hope in God. He simply believed what God said. Now, we, we're all guilty at some point in our lives, and I pray that we don't find ourselves there today or that we do go there, but we're all subject at some point to deviate and kind of miss truth. But my hope is that what we'll begin to see here is that faith and hope go together. Faith in God opens up hope to us. And each and every one of you, I pray, that you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Because what that now does is it gives you a hope that gives you the ability to hope contrary to the hope of this world. In verse 18, it tells us that Abraham hoped contrary to hope. So here's what the Bible's talking about there. Abraham's hope, according to what he saw, was this ain't happening. Isaac's not coming. This child is not going to be born. Tools ain't working. Factories closed. This is, this is a hopeless situation. But instead, what we see is that the Bible says that Abraham hoped contrary to that hope. In other words, there was a hope that was greater that trumped the hope that he had based upon what he saw. It's a greater, listen, the hope in God trumps what we see. It's kind of like, think of it this way, and I'm sure at some point I've used this example, so if you heard it before, receive it again. Right? It's kind of like when you get in a plane, right? When, when, if, if I told you, uh, jump off Mount Beacon and go straight down, how many of you think you're going to fly? Not going to happen, right? Now, I'll tell you how you can. Do the same thing. Go to Mount Beacon. Get in a little Cessna propeller engine. Get that sucker going and, all of a, and, and push that thing off of there and get those motors going. And what's going to happen? Are you going to fall or are you going to fly? You're going to fly. Do you know why? Because there's a greater law, the law of lift, that overcomes the law of gravity. And what we need to begin to see is that our greater hope in God is greater than anything we see, anything this world dictates, anything that man says. You need to begin to put your trust in a higher hope, a greater hope. And this is what Abraham did. He hoped contrary to the hope that he saw. Man, that's good preaching, Pastor Jose. That's good preaching, Pastor Jose. <laughs> I'm preaching to me right now, just so you know. Abraham went contrary to the hope that his body offered. He went contra contrary to the hope of his efforts to please God. He went, he went contrary to, uh, towards, uh, against the hope that his wife provided. He hoped in God. He was fully convinced that what God promised, it would be done. And so there's something that we need to begin to grasp here based upon the life of Abraham. That hope has nothing to do with the things that we hope for. Hope that has substance and a foundation is based upon the promises of God. And so I got three things that I want to share with you today uh, for the next couple of moments that we have in regards to hope and how to maintain that hope, how to continue to look to God in hope. The first thing I want to do is, and, and as I said, we're going to stay in Romans chapter 4. Notice that in verse 18 it says that he hoped contrary to hope and he believed so that he became the father of many nations. You know what's interesting about that scripture? 
that this is talking about Abraham before he was even a father. It's talking about a hope that while he was still childless, he was the father of many nations. And so I want to encourage you with a thought here. Get your mojo back. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? What, what is he talking about? You know what the mojo is? The mojo is when everything's clicking, when everything's moving, when everything's working, when it's easy, when it's flowing. But how do you do that? You ever watch that show, Home Improvement? Right? When you got a guy that kind of half looks handsome, right? He ain't got nothing on me. That's why I say that. Hey, he's got his hair flowing. You know, I've, I've accepted the truth, and now I'm free. Right? I have cut it all off. Right? You're, maybe you're wondering, what, what is that? Is that for the summer? No, this is the deal. It's for real. It's over. It's done. I'm not living in denial anymore. Right? It was growing on the sides, but it just wasn't growing on the top. So I just said, it's off. We're out of here. Right? But uh, anyway, this guy, uh, he, he uh, you know, they, they build these houses, right? And they get all these volunteers and all this, and, and, you know, for people that need it or for, to bless a family or whatever. And, they, and then the way the show always ends is they put this big, huge bus in front of it. And they put a picture of the old home in front of the bus. And the family's standing there, and they're kind of just like, he goes, are you, are you ready? And then he says, Okay, so obviously some of you haven't watched this show, right? So let's try this again, right? I've told you how this works already, right? So we're back at, at that point. They're looking at the house, and they say, Okay, so this half of the room, maybe I should stand over here. Let's try this one more time. Just give it to me. Just, just, just work with me here, ladies. Help me preach here, right? We're looking at, all oh, right, we got the whole drum roll and everything. We're looking at the bus, and they say, Move that bus. Yes, yes, move that bus. And the bus moves, right? And then they see this huge house. So here's how you get the mojo. Let me show you what the mojo is, right? You've got this bus, but I want you to envision that they say move that bus and it's only you. And I'm not talking about all of you together. I'm talking about you individually. You, your own person. You, Ray. You, Carol. You, Jeff. You, Josh. You, Jeff. Right? You've got this huge rope, kind of like the ones in the cruise lines that they hold those boats with, those, those ships with. And you're pulling this and you're going. And it's not moving. And so now I say, get all the kids from downstairs, get all the teens from upstairs, get everybody in the room, and let's go push on the back of that bus. And we start pushing. And all of a sudden, you get a little inch, and it starts rolling. Right? And now we're all pushing this bus, and this person's in the front pulling it. Right? You're pulling it. And now everybody else stops pushing it. You've already got momentum. And so all you got to do is just keep pulling, keep some force pulling on that rope, and that bus continues to move. So here's what I want you to see, that when Abraham seemingly had nothing left, when hope, the hope he had in his body, in Sarah, in what he saw, when that seemingly, when he seemingly had nothing left, he went back to the one thing that he did have, a promise from God. And that was all the momentum he needed. I have this one Bible. I've got Bibles all over. I got Bibles. I got a Bible in my car, in my truck. I got a Bible on my phone. I got a Bible on my 
iPad. I've got a Bible in front of me. I've got Bibles in my office. I've got Bibles all over. I just carry Bibles. Well, yeah, you should. You're a pastor. No, 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 no. I just really like to study the Word. I enjoy the Word of God. It ministers to me. It's, it's renewing my mind. It's helping me. But I've got this one Bible that years ago um, was a very special Bible for me. And if you looked at it, you wouldn't think that because it's written, there's writing all over it, everywhere. There's, things are scratched out and, and you're going, oh, what, you don't believe that? You don't, you don't believe that part of the Bible you're scratching? That out? No, no, what you're not understanding is that it's a John Maxwell leadership Bible. And I, you know, I was just reading the commentaries and I was just studying it. And I had this Bible for a couple of years, but when I started really looking at that Bible, for some reason, it was like my lenses changed. I began to see promises from the Word. When we first started this ministry, there was a promise that the Lord gave me, that, the, that I saw in that Bible that the Lord showed me. And it really gave me some mojo. It gave me some momentum. Because we had stepped out of a huge ministry, a mega church, and we left to nothing. There was no paycheck. There was nothing. And I remember sitting at my kitchen counter beginning of January. January 1st, as a matter of fact, it was like 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm having a cup of coffee. Praise God. Uh, I praise, you could praise God for some coffee. It's in the Bible. You didn't know that coffee is biblical? What you think Hebrews is about? It's... It's about coffee. No, let me stop. I'm sorry. That's just me being corny. That was a lot funnier in my head than it, than it came out. But anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm drinking this cup of coffee. And I said, Lord, I trust you. And I know that you've called us to start this ministry. And I know that you've called us to this city. I said, but Lord, what I see doesn't make sense. I have two kids in college, Lord. I have a mortgage. I have a dog. I mean, the dog's got to get fed too, ladies and gentlemen. That's not free. Right? He's like, I got all this going on. Lord, I don't see it. How, how's this going to work? And I was reading the word that morning, and I come across the same gentleman we're talking about, Abraham. And there comes a point where Abraham gives up all the spoils that were rightly his from a battle. He gives it up. To, to, the, to, to a king, and he says, I don't want any of it lest you can say that you've blessed me and that you've been the reason why I've been enriched. And right after that, God says to Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. And I remember, look, I get chills just thinking about it. I remember seeing that scripture, and I took my pen, and I scratched out Abraham's name, and I wrote my name, Jose. And in that Bible, if, if you were to see it, you'll see promise upon promise upon promise. Everywhere there's a promise. It, my name is in there. Amen. It's in there. Amen. Because we read this, this Bible sometimes as an abstract foreign entity as if it's talking about Moses and it's talking about Abraham and it's talking about Paul and it's talking about Peter. And what we don't realize is that, no, it's talking about you. It's talking about me. It's talking about us. And so here's how you start getting some momentum. Go get yourself a promise from the word of God. And I would encourage you, don't wait till stuff happens for you to now go look for a promise. Go find a promise from God right now because the Bible says that 
His promises are yes and amen. God's answer to every promise that he's given you and I is yes. It's so be it. God's answer is it's yours. You can have it. And so it would behoove us not to look to God's word and to see the promises of God. Man, God says that he has plans to prosper you, to give you hope, a future. God says that he'll provide for every need that you have. God says that he cares and that you can cast your cares upon him. God says that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's always with you till the very end of the age. God says he's your healer. He's your redeemer. He's your restorer. When you can't fix the situation in your own home, when you and your spouse are at odds or whatever, I'm telling you, the one, instead of trying to make it work, go ahead and find what God says about your marriage. Amen about your children, about your home, about your community, about your workplace, about your career, about your aspirations, about your dreams. There's a promise in store for everything. And we have to take a hold of it. Why? Because it, our hope depends upon it. So get your mojo back. Get back to that. In verse 19, we see that it says that Abraham wasn't weak in faith. That he did not consider his own body which was already dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. So let me ask you all a question. How many of you would say you are faithful? Faithful. You're faithful people. You can raise your hand. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed. You're faithful. Faithful. Okay, some of you. Let me ask you this. How many of you, and don't, don't raise your hand for this one. Answer it for yourself. How many of you would say that you are fully using your faith? Let me tell you why I pose that question to you. Because Abraham used faith fully. When his hope was contrary to anything that the promise of God declared to him, he trusted God fully. Fully. So I want to encourage you with this. Use faith fully. Use faith fully. You know, the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it, it, it says that we have the measure of faith. The measure of faith. In some Bibles, you might read it and it says a measure of faith. And people wrongly interpret that. And you really got to study this. But when the Bible talks about we have a measure of faith or the measure of faith, you know what it's talking about? I mean, as a matter of fact, I'll just, I'll just read to you from my notes what I wrote. It refers to an instrument that's used to measure out a quantity of the sum total. In other words, here's what it's really depicting. You've got the whole cookie jar. Do you take one cookie? Or do you eat the whole cookie jar? Some of you, some of you, some of you are truthful. Yes, you're eating the whole cookie jar. You're eating the whole cookie jar. Listen, I'm going to tell you why we can all use faith fully. Because faith is born out of God. Faith is God's. And so we all have the same measure of faith. The question is, how much are you taking out? How much are you withdrawing? I want you to envision this. Get a mental picture of this. You go home, and in your bedroom, there is an ATM machine. Right? Here's the thing. You don't need a card to access it. You don't. And here's the great thing about this ATM. 
some way, somehow, can't explain it, the resources in it are unlimited. How many of you are going to live life like this? I'll just take $20 for the week. I'm not. I'm not. Listen, if it's all available to you, wouldn't you use it all? Especially when you know that it's God's kind of faith. A faith that is based upon his promises, upon his word. And so what we see here is that Abraham made, he, he looked at his own account and it was bankrupt. But then he looked to God, to the promise. And for 25 years, there was no child. And guess what he kept doing in the midst of it? He made withdrawals. But God, you said. And God, here's what he's going to look like. If any of you have ever had a child, you already know what that's like. Before you've ever seen that child, you already have plans for what, what they're going to wear, how they're going to look, right? How you're going to comb their hair. You see yourself feeding them. You make plans based upon something you don't even see. That's hope at work. That's the hope of God in us. And so I would encourage you, will you use faith fully? Will you make withdrawals based upon the faith that God has given you, that he's entrusted to you? He's given you a hope, a future. We should make withdrawals from that. And lastly, I want to encourage you with this. Don't give up on your hope. It says this. It says that he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And watch this, verse 21. Being fully convinced that what he, what God had promised, he was able to perform. Man, every time Abraham looked at his body, he took a second look. You know, many of us, when we find ourselves in some dire situations or whatever it is, no condemnation in this, by the way. Please don't, don't, don't hear it that way. But how many of us take a second look? How many of us only go according to the first look? Well, they're cutting everybody off. You know, they're, they're shutting this whole department down in this, in the, in, in, in the, at the job. And you know what? I'm out of a job. And how am I going to make it? And I got to pay all these bills. And do you stop at the first look? Or do you take a second look? Do you go back to the promise of God? Abraham took a second look at his hope. He looked to God who called him, who provided every time for him, who strengthened him and prospered him against his enemies, who made a way when there was none, who made him the father of many nations, even while he didn't have a son. He did not allow himself to give up. He did not waver. And here's, here's a promise for you right here in the scripture. And because of it, he was strengthened in faith. Strengthened in faith. Want stronger faith? You want to use, you want to exercise faith to a greater capacity? 
It's not about doing more church things. It's not about going through more spiritual hula hoops. It's not about behaving better or getting your act and looking better, if that's even a word. No. It's about seeing God, recognizing that he's that good that he would promise you that, and not moving from that. Look into it. Hmm. The exercise of faith is never without reward. People of God, we're full of hope. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so, how do we unpack this? How does this apply to our daily lives? How, where do we go from here? Well, how about starting to hope in greater things? Because we serve a God who's our greatest hope of all. How about really getting serious about, God, it really is you and me. And I'm planting my flag and I'm making a decision and this is what I'm doing. Because this is what we do, ladies and gentlemen. We hope in greater things because we hope in a greater God. And so maybe it's just time for, for, maybe it's just time for you to just make that decision and say, God, you're my hope. And I'm not moving, I'm not wavering, I'm not turning from this. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what letdown I've had. God, it, hey, check this out. The hope that you had in the thing that's left you feeling hopeless proves one thing. It wasn't hope. You start hoping in God. You start trusting God. You start believing the promises of God and walking this walk day by day, minute by minute. Little by little. You ain't got to have it all together. But you got to make a decision. If that's you today and you make that decision, get ready for a hopeful future. There's greater things in store. So start there. God, I'm turning back to you. I'm looking to you, God. And I'm following after you. One step at a time. One moment at a time. Maybe your moment is right here, right now. If you don't know Jesus, doesn't take you coming to an altar, doesn't take you coming down down here and going through a whole bunch of spiritual hula hoops and raising your hands. Here's what it takes. I've never heard of a God that wants to be near to me. I want that. God, if that's your promise, then I want that promise. And I understand, God, that you did that by Jesus Christ, that you paid a price for all humanity And so the price is paid. And so there's only one thing I can do is accept that price and say, it's for me. It's free and it's for me. And if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and he rose again, the Bible says this, and you confess that with your mouth and believe it in your heart, the Word of God says this, that you are saved, that you're a child. And so if you believe that, you've received that, you've accepted that, and you prayed that right now, guess what? Welcome to the kingdom of God and welcome to a hopeful life. Well, what about me, Pastor Jose? I've made that decision already. Get your mojo back. Instead of trying to just be right with God, see everything that's right about you in Christ. See every promise that God has given you. A promise a day keeps hopelessness away.
Start looking to the promises of God. Write in your Bible, scratch it out, do whatever you got to do. Some people write on, on their cars, you know, uh, uh, congratulations to my child, 2007. Write a promise of God for yourself. Write it on your mirror. Do whatever you got to do. But take a hold of the promise of God because it's a sure foundation. It's firm. It's secure.